this time. I thank you so much for the endurance to run the race before us that we start at the moment of salvation. God, I just pray that you just be with us today as we listen to your word. I pray that you just speak through Dr. Cox this morning and may we leave here changed. And it's your name that I pray. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, guys. What a joy to be here today, sharing baptism and uh, share the word with you. I want to share today a, um, a word study sermon. The, the normal way that we look at God's word and study it is we focus on a passage and we go through that passage unit and try to interpret it and apply it to our lives. But another equally valid way to study God's Word is to gather together all that the Bible says on a subject or a word. And that's what I want to do today, a word study kind of sermon. And so the word that I want us to look at and see what the Bible talks about today is the word love. I just believe that our world could do with a good dose of love right now. Don't you think so? I think that we could do with a good dose of Bible teaching on what the Bible says about love. So that's what I want us to do uh, this morning. So I want to begin by contrasting three Greek words for love. The Bible, the New Testament, was written in Greek. And so I think it'll be helpful to us to see some contrast here. So there are three main words uh, in Greek for love. And the first word is the word eros, E-R-O-S. And I would describe this as a taking love. This is when you love something because it satisfies your needs. It fulfills your hunger or your thirst. Uh, this is a love that is about uh, receiving and grabbing and grasping. Uh, this is the word erotic comes from this word, Greek word. Erotic love is a self-fulfilling, taking kind of love. Uh, I have a grandson who watches Sesame Street, and there's a character there named Cookie Monster, and Cookie Monster loves cookies. He says, me want cookies! He loves cookies, but it does, it's not of really any benefit to the cookie, right? It's all about him. He's fulfilling an appetite, a desire for cookies. So Cookie Monster's love of cookies is an heiress kind of love, a taking kind of love, right? This word is never found in the Greek New Testament. I'm not saying that eros love is always wrong. It's not always wrong to love chocolate cake or love something, uh, but it, this word is not found in the Greek New Testament. The second Greek word for love is philia, P-H-I-L-I-A, and philia is a give and take kind of love. And I'm oversimplifying a little bit. There's some overlap sometimes in the New Testament. But primarily, philia is a reciprocal love. It's like a love between friends. You benefit me, I benefit you. Uh, it's a love between family. There are six, uh, this word occurs 25 times in the Greek New Testament. It's not the word we're going to look at today, but it's a, a wonderful word for love. It's combined with another word for brother. It occurs six times in the New Testament in a combination form, the word Philadelphia. So you've got the word for brother and the word 
philia, love for brothers. We've got a city named Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And this is that kind of affectionate, warm, give-and-take kind of love. The third Greek word for love is the word agape. The word agape is a self-giving love, just the opposite of an heiress love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a giving love. It's an unconditional kind of love. This is the distinctive word in the New Testament 259 times. The word, either in noun form or verb form, agape, occurs in the New Testament. This is the distinctive love for what Christian love is like. So we wanted to look at those now. We don't have time to look at all 259 time, verses. So I've picked out 10 passages, 14 verses, some of them are couplets, but 10 places in the New Testament where this word agape occurs that I think are representative and are, give us an overview. You got time for 10? You with me on 10? Okay, so let's look at 10 places in the New Testament where this word agape is found and see what it means, see what God says about love. Where do we start? Well, we start in eternity. We start with the Trinity. Because for all eternity, the Father has loved the Son, and the Son has loved the Father with agape love. Let me read it to you in John chapter 3, verse 35. It says, The Father loves with agape love the Son and has placed everything in His hands. So agape love has always existed for all eternity. God's been here forever in the form of the Trinity, and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have loved one another with an unconditional kind of self-giving love for all eternity. That's where agape comes from. And then the Bible tells us that God loves us with this unconditional, self-giving, agape kind of love. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. So, God loves us with this kind of love. And I want you to notice as we go through these ten places that in two or three of them, the word love, agape love, is going to be paired with the word forgive, some tense of the word give, because agape love is a giving love. It is not primarily an emotion that we're talking about when we talk about agape love. It's primarily an action. It does something. It's not how you feel about somebody, it's what you do. And God has demonstrated His agape love in that He has given, He gave His one and only Son. And we'll often see that pairing. And so the demonstration of God's love for us is that He sent Jesus down for heaven. And to become a Christian is to receive God's agape love for us. If today you would accept that God loves you and believe in Jesus then by believing in Him, this verse says that you'll not go to hell, you'll not have the second death, the death beyond physical death, you'll not perish, but you'll have, from that moment when you believe, eternal life. So becoming a Christian is receiving that. Maybe today some of you need to say, you know, I, I believe God loves me and He's shown that in Jesus and I receive that and I'll believe in Him and you could receive the gift of eternal life today. Now, when you receive the love of God, it transforms us and flows through us and becomes the model and motivation for our loving of others. Let me show it to you in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, because you've received this agape love, your dearly loved children, and walk 
in the way of love. You see the action that comes out of that? Just as Christ loved us and gave, there's that word give, paired with agape love again in Scripture, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So the big demonstration of God's love in Jesus is that he died on the cross for us. He gave himself up and that is the ultimate expression of sacrificial love. And so that becomes then our example. Follow God's example, therefore, is dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. And so that love's to flow through us and we're to love others. So the New Testament says that there are two directions in your life. If you're a believer, if you've received that love from God, there are two directions in which that love should flow. First of all, you're to love God. The very first commandment, the biggest thing in the world for you to do is to love God. I'll read it to you in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So if we receive the love of God, then we love Him back. We love because He first loved us. And so... Let me ask you, do you love God? Do you love God? You, you might say, well, I, I don't know. I think I do. Uh, how, do you, how do you know if you love God? You can't hug Him. You can't see Him. How do I know if I love God? You don't have to wonder because Jesus has given us a very clear indicator of whether or not you love God. He said in John 14, 23, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. So remember, love, agape love is primarily an action. And so you're trying to decide, you're testing your life about the biggest commandment in the world. The biggest commandment in the world is to love God. Do you love God? Well, are you obeying Him? Are you walking in obedience? Because He says the indicator of love will be obedience. And if you're not in obedience to God and the commands, then you don't love God. God. Now, the second direction in which this love is to flow is to our neighbor. It's to flow to God. That's the first and biggest commandment. And the second commandment is like it, to love our neighbor. Let me read to you again from Matthew 22, Matthew 22, 39. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, well, who's my neighbor? Well, Someone asked Jesus that very question at one point when he was here on earth, and Jesus responded with the parable of the Good Samaritan. You remember that story? And basically what Jesus was saying in that story is that anyone who is in need is your neighbor. Everyone is your neighbor. All of humanity is your neighbor, but especially Jesus was making the point that those that you might look down upon, because Samaritans were a different religion, a different ethnic group, and somewhat of a different racial group, from the, the Jews, and he's especially saying those who are different from you in those ways are your neighbor and you are to love them. So all of humanity is our neighbor, but especially Jesus is pointing toward those of us that sometimes it's difficult for us to love, and he says to love your neighbor. So, you see, I think one of the things that we as Christians really need to get, make sure we remember is that there's no conflict between love and truth. You can hold on to truth firmly and still love people. 
of a different ethnic group, religious group. For example, I believe uh, that Jesus is the only way to heaven. I believe that there's no way to heaven except through the only Son of God, Jesus. And so, therefore, I believe all other religious systems are false religious systems. Or, but that doesn't mean that I hate a Muslim. I can still love a Muslim, and it does not compromise my holding to that truth. And we need to make sure we understand that because we believe in truth does not mean that we can, cannot love people who have a different truth view. So we just got to remind ourselves of that. It doesn't compromise my holding to the truth by loving people who are, are different from me as my neighbors. Or I believe that a lesbian lifestyle is contrary to God's will for a person's life. I believe he hates that. But that does not mean then that I should hate a person who lives that lifestyle. It does not compromise my view of the truth to love a person who is different from me. You want to know basic, here, here's a basic thing about how, how to love your neighbor that I think we need to get in our society. It's Romans 13.10. Let me share this verse with you. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You want to know how to love your neighbor? Well, there's a really good place to start. Just don't do any harm to people. I've come to believe that we're never wrong by being kind to somebody. It's just never going to be wrong to be kind to somebody. And so the first, most basic uh, way that you can love your neighbor, especially those who are different from you, is just don't do any harm. So before you start to post something on social media in response to somebody who's been mean to you, is, is this going to in any way do harm? Before you respond to something somebody says, will this do harm? Because I'm never loving if I'm doing harm. I'll give you another contrast between truth and love that's just going to blow your mind, Okay. A Republican can love a Democrat without agreeing with their views. A Democrat can love a Republican without compromising their positions. I, I really think in 2020 it would just be good for us to hear that. When you understand that the, the, the word love is not necessarily a warm, fuzzy feeling, but it is an action that, first of all, does no harm and is kind. And so it does not diminish your truth claims in any of these areas just to be nice. You haven't compromised in any way by being nice to somebody, or at least by doing no harm. Love does no harm to a neighbor. So if you respond to an idea, but if you respond in a harmful way against that person, then you cross that line of love to a neighbor. Now, we want to look at some subsets of neighbors, the two ways God loves us. His love comes into our life. We're to love God with all of our heart. That's the first commandment. We're to love our neighbor. Now we're going to look at some subsets of this that the New Testament identifies that we're particularly to love or that we at least particularly need to, some, to hear about loving them. And the first one is our enemies. There'll be some of our neighbors who position themselves as our enemies. Maybe it's a personal enemy at your workplace. Maybe it's an ideological enemy that just does not believe in the, the Christian worldview. I believe that there are people in our country who have an agenda to destroy the Christian worldview. I really believe that. What's our response to them to be? It is to stand for truth, but it is to respond in love. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 43-44. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So he is saying that even those who persecute you, you 
can respond by praying for them. There's that action again. And it would begin to, to transform us when we pray for them. And I don't mean pray that a piano will fall on their head or something like that. I mean you pray toward a good end. You can at least pray for the salvation of your enemies. God could change their hearts. He changed your heart. God could save them. So if there's a personal enemy, why don't you just start? It's going to be hard for you. Remember, love is not a, a warm, fuzzy feeling. There may be some that you don't have a, a, a personal like for, but you could still love. You don't have an emotional attraction to, but God's commanded you to, to act in love. That's primarily what agape love is, is an action of self-sacrifice and giving. And so you could begin that action of praying for those people personally or in whatever level that have opposed you or mistreated you or been unkind to you. There's another subset of neighbors that we're particularly to love, and that is the church. Those neighbors who have like faith in Jesus and have come together into a body, we're to love all people, but the New Testament tells us that there is to be a special depth and commitment of the love that we have for one another in the church let me read it to you in John 13, 34 through 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So the one another here is not speaking of everybody. He's particularly speaking of fellow disciples. And this one another phrase will be used throughout the New Testament in that regard. There is to be a depth to the love that we have for one another so that it becomes a trademark by which we are recognized. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples. They may not agree with your convictions, but they cannot deny that you have a commitment of doing good to one another in the church. Is that true of us? Let me, I'm, uh, is that our trademark? I want to show, let's play a game. You want to play a game? It's a simple game. Uh, I'm going to show you some trademarks. See if you can identify what the trademark represents. Here we go with the first one. What is Nike? That's easy, right? The Nike swoosh is probably one of the most world's most recognizable trademarks. So they've done a good job of branding that when you see that, you think Nike. When you when you hear Christian, you think, boy, they love one another. That's what we're after, right? That's what we, all right, let's do another one. What's that? Chevrolet, one of the iconic car symbols for a long time in our country has been Chevrolet. Going to get to a little more modern one. Let's try another one. Amazon, on the trucks, on your cardboard boxes. A lot of people have become friends with them in the last three months especially. And let's try one more. Twitter, yeah, very good. If you're on social media, maybe you know that that bird represents Twitter. So y'all got those you know, pretty quickly. So they have gotten that connection, right? You hear what this verse is saying? He's saying for us as Christians that there should be that identification that the logo of Christians is there is a love for one another. Let me ask you then in regard to that, is that, is that true? Do you love the church? And how do you love the church? Do you love this body of believers with an heiress love of what it can do for me? I love my church. They sing the songs I like. I like the people in my connection group. They're my friends. Is your love an heiress love because it meets my needs 
then I love it. Or is your love a filial love? There's give and take, and I, I help my friends and they help me. Or is your love for your church, what Jesus said should be our trademark, a self-giving, sacrificial, unconditional kind of giving love? I want you to think about that regarding your church. How are we doing? I, I think uh, in some ways uh, we're doing very well. I think, for example, our Acts 4 ministry, where we said at the beginning of this pandemic, if you get your stimulus check and you don't have to have it to live on, you want to share part of it or all of it, and we're going to then distribute it to those who apply who have lost their jobs during the pandemic or have lost wages or had their hours cut back or whatever. And we've had far more people give than we have had people take. And we still have money available. If you've had your hours cut or if your, your unemployment is about to run out or whatever, we're, and you're part of our church family, we take seriously this love. We want to help you. And it's a good thing, I think, that we've got more givers and takers now. That, that speaks well of your agape love. We look at other things in our thing, and, and uh, when uh, people don't want to do ministry because they say, I love my connection group and, and I don't want to leave it, well, then maybe that's more of a taking than a giving kind of love, right? Is your love for your church that agape kind of love? Let's go to one more subset, one final one, and that is marriage. And for those of you who are married, we're to love your spouse with this kind of agape love. It says in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and, here's our word, gave himself up for her. There's that pairing again. So and again, it's pointing to the cross, the cross-shaped agape love. And in a marriage relationship, we're to love one another with that kind of love. Somebody asks you, is that how you're loving your spouse? Is your love for your spouse an heiress love? They meet my needs. I love them because they do things for me. Is your love for your spouse a filial love? That's, that's good. Give and take reciprocal kind of love, warm, affectionate love? Is your love for your spouse in your marriage, is there any agape, self-giving, unconditional, sacrificial, dying for kind of love? Not thinking of me, but of thinking of the other person. And that's what the Bible says we're to have. And, and so I would just say maybe you are having problems in your marriage. And if so, I, the therapy that I would recommend to you, why don't you begin to practice a radical thing. Why don't you begin to do acts of kindness for your spouse with no expectation of return, not to get your needs met, but because God has loved you in that way. And he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So why don't you give yourself up for your spouse? I'm not guaranteeing that it will solve your problems, but I don't think it's going to hurt too much. It's probably going to be better than where you are now. And maybe words have failed and you've gotten into the issues and you're talking and you're just not getting anywhere talking. Well, why don't you let go of the talking and begin to act? That's what agape love is. And you say, without whether this helps or not, I'm going to be like Jesus in my marriage. And I'm not going to be so centered on my needs and what is not happening for me, but I'm going to turn that focus to be centered on a self-giving kind of love because that's the kind that I have received from God. So what's the Holy Spirit saying to you today about your love life? How's your love life? Is there any area where you need to repent? First of all, let me ask you, have you received the eternal 
agape love that God has for the Son that He gives to you in Jesus by sending Him? Have you received that love? You can't give until you receive. Would you today receive and believe in Jesus? If so, you can have eternal life. And if you have, are there any of these areas of your life where God is speaking to you that my love has been less than that New Testament agape love and I need to repent? Would you pray together with me? Oh God, help us to be different from our culture. Our culture does not love with this kind of love. You love with this kind of love, and we belong to you. Lord, maybe there's someone right now who would say, I want to receive God's love. I'm, I accept that he loves me, and I believe that Jesus came to die on the cross for me, and I, I believe in him and receive the gift of eternal life. Oh Father, maybe there's some of us who are believers in our marriage, with the people at work, our neighbors, or in regard to our enemies, or in regard to our church, where you would, are saying to us, your love life is not what it needs to be, and help us to take that radical step of faith to love with a self-giving love. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. After our closing today, after the final prayer, Jake, one of our pastors, will be in the, uh, at the Welcome Center, at the parlor. And if you want to respond to God's Word today, that's how you do that. Just go this way on the way out toward guest parking. He'll meet you there. You can accept Christ as Savior. You can confess Him. Fill out a membership form. Be baptized August 16th. We already have some folks being baptized our next baptism or any time thereafter. You can also go by there and join our church. He'll take your picture, fill out a membership form, ask you about your your previous experience. We had somebody in our 830 service that joined our church there uh, this morning. You could do that today. Or if you have, you want somebody to pray with you, he'd be glad to pray with you. Thank you. God bless you. Thanks, Gary.
Thank <laughs> you. 